trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio and intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. For this week's episode of The Kettle is Hot, I am joined by my guest, Penny Taylor. Penny has a BA in psychology from university in Southern California and and a master's degree in educational psychology from a California state university in LA. She was also stalking the founders of evolutionary (laughs) psychology until COVID made her stop. I love that so much. (laughs) You got to get your info while you can. Pretty Um, much what happened. (laughs) Well, I am so glad to sit and chat with you. Um, I was telling you before we hopped on, you're the first guest I've had who I like have no previous relationship with. So this is going to be like a new and exciting thing. And oh my God. Yeah, here we are. So wait, how did, how did you find me? Was it from the panel I did? Yeah. Ah. There yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I there's a it. lot of people that got introduced to all four of you. And are you probably, did you get like a bump of attention? It's been a wild ride. Um, I've known <laughs> Jensen and Daniil for about two or three years and had met Misha like that week, like via, via a phone call. Right. Um, and then I've known uh jared who plays on supernatural with jensen i've known his wife and him for about three years and so like between the panel i did with misha jensen and daniel and then yesterday i did an instagram takeover for jen <laughs> so it's just been like oh you did oh fun yeah um austin women's magazine did like their own version of share the mic here like the national response that happened a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago and then they did an austin version this week and so jen said she would participate but only if she could be partnered with me which i thought was super <gasps> cool oh my yeah. gosh how cool um so it was like it's been interesting so like my friend who does instagram for a living um she was like have you noticed how much your your following has gone up i'm like yeah but i also feel like it's just like my 15 minutes of fame and like it'll like mellow out she's like no because you post and talk about a lot of great things like people will want to keep hearing from you just like got introduced to you this way so it's been like really great and humbling and you know yesterday with the instagram takeover i did it was great just to like be able to reach i mean jen has over a million followers like just to be able to like take this space where her audience is predominantly white and just go into that space and talk to them about, you know, Black Lives Matter, what defunding versus dismantling the police looks like, just having like conversations, taking questions. Um, So yeah, it was a, it was a fun little ride and here I am continuing. Yeah. I don't think it's going to stop though. Like (laughs) supernatural fans have a tendency to like walk in and I, I mean, yeah, I think it's cool. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, it's funny. I used to watch the show religiously when I was in mm-hmm. high school and college, 
And so like now that I like know uh, all of them really well, my friends from back home are like, what did your life make? I don't know. It's manifestation or God or the universe just being like, hey, thought you should <laughs> connect with yeah, these people. It's, it's for been real. Yeah. Beautiful That's and wild. so awesome. Wait, where's back home? Do I know this? I'm originally from Connecticut. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I moved to Austin in 2016 and I've been here ever since. So nice yeah yeah i visited austin once it was it's last a good place september oh yeah we saw the bats and did all that it was, it was all, the, cool. all the touristy things yeah yeah we kind of did the touristy things but it's still it's it got a taste <laughs> yeah i love that well i know you as always my guest picks the topic so what are we talking about today um, well, I'll put in a little bio, just talking about how, with all the kind of personal research I've done about evolutionary psychology, that um, sometimes differences can be distracting. And I guess that's the a big umbrella of what I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was just talking to a friend the other day, because there's a lot of conversation happening around um the whole trope like when we were raised of like you know you don't see color everyone's treated the same and people who are really flipping that on its head of like no you need to acknowledge color so we can do things and like start really having conversations about anti-racist work and you know helping to create space so I think this is a perfect topic for what we're we're currently seeing right now and especially you know with me telling people that especially you know predominantly white people and non-black POC um, allies that if you are going to be uncomfortable, right? And for a long time, people are, were so afraid to be uncomfortable and sit in discomfort. And I've been saying, well, imagine, you know, this is just a taste of what you're experiencing, but like being black in America, in America is constantly being uncomfortable, constantly feeling like you're not safe. And so, you know, I, uh, to get back to your topic of like physical differences are distracting, you know, you as a black person you notice how white people are treated differently but i don't think that's ever like flipped on its head unless it is like blatantly done and i think you know you make a note in here about microaggressions and i love but hate this term um because i don't believe in microaggressions i think they're just aggressions period and using the word micro kind of diminishes the, the impact it has on marginalized groups especially like how often it happens and so it might like it's death by a million paper cuts like it might be small and take a while to actually take effect but i mean it eventually starts to to really weigh on you and you know especially being here in austin like austin used to be predominantly black and i think now we have a population of about eight percent black people and yeah and there's a statistic that says if a major city falls beneath 10 percent, it will probably never recover And so we're seeing a lot of work around this. And especially like me personally, I have been thinking of moving to Philly um, just to be somewhere more diverse and also to like be closer to family. But for me lately, all of watching all this work take place and, you know, connecting with this organization called the Austin Justice Coalition, which is a black led org that does a lot of uh, social justice work here in Austin and, you know, connecting with them and, Recently, they hosted a protest, I guess is hosted is the right word. But anyway, there was a protest that they organized. <laughs> it was a super polite protest. Yeah, it was very polite. Um, and it was just interesting to see because constantly, 
we will hear how like black people don't protest correctly right it's like you know cap took a knee for football but that wasn't the right way to do it we boycott things and then we're ruining the economy or you know all these different things that you know we are trying to do different ways of protesting and no matter what it's not done right and you know talking to one of my friends who's over there and like the emails they've been getting from white allies trying to tell them how to do things or like this protest Mm. was too peaceful i'm like what do you (laughs) so if we're violent it's awful but if we're peaceful it's too peaceful (laughs) so clearly we're not doing that we're just they're just listening to themselves and i've been telling people like black people have been doing this work forever we've always been the ones to organize and stick up for ourselves and so I've been telling a lot of allies, like right now, as you start to really sit with your privilege and question who you've been, how you've contributed to this, even if you, you know, you're just now sitting with, with how you've benefited from being Mm -hmm. white to really just like sit back and listen and not try to have that white savior complex of like, feeling Mm -hmm. feeling because you're late, you have to like make up for things. And I've been using the trope of like people who come to a party, like you wouldn't Oh, no, sorry. The, when you go to some person, somebody else's house for dinner, if they invite you for dinner, you're not in the kitchen cooking, right? Like you show up, you bring a dessert or a bottle of wine, but they are the ones hosting. And so you need to come in very politely and, and just be gracious and listen and, and, you know, see what the flow is. But yeah, so when, when you told me this physical difference, I was just like, yeah, because I have so, <laughs> so many, so many feelings. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you wanted to jump in. I always feel like I get on a tangent and just talk about. No, that's thing. not a tangent at all. I mean, we're still establishing how we're going to talk about this. So, I'm, I'm, I'm. The things I'm picking up are that I had never used the term microaggression until I heard you talking to Anna, and 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 I thought, oh my gosh, she's describing posturing. Like, if we're talking about in nature, you're, if you're worried about something and someone's kind of in your space, then you'll posture. And so the microaggression to me was like, oh my gosh, she's in my head a little bit, just a different term. But, um, and the other thing is talking about discomfort when it seems to me like when you're, you're getting like corrected, like, oh, you're not protesting right. It's just that the people who are uncomfortable just wish it wasn't there. So they are discounting it out of convenience. And that's something that certain groups of people, I think, do automatically, instinctually, just to simplify things, because that's how we did it hundreds of thousands of years ago. Like I, I, not very many people agree with me, but I think that we do sometimes think like we used to, like when we were first figuring out how to be humans. And, and I keep seeing it and hearing it, especially in this kind of tribe versus tribe conversation that we're having. Whereas I kind of like to look at it and not as tribe versus tribe, but what, what's happening between tribe members and it sometimes clarifies it in my head and that's why when I heard you saying certain things I was like oh maybe she's the person that I can talk about this with it and maybe you can push back um, and I mean uh, these are ideas that I've only had for the last I don't know year or two because of all this research I'm doing but honestly it seems to simplify a lot of this noise and I don't mean to call it like discount culture or anything like that but it is just kind of a layer of 
stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And as you know, the, the note you made about discomfort and, you know, I think about it as like, like I was saying before, like black people are used to being uncomfortable. Like we're never, we're never comfortable. We are never able to relax or take a breath. Like we're really not safe anywhere. And I've been having that conversation with people and, you know, one of my closest friends, um, she is white. And so she's like really trying to be a better ally. Like she's been involved with like LGBTQIA issues for a long time, but now like really focusing on how to be a better ally to black people. And so we've been having a lot of conversations and we talk very often and she's like, I am sorry that I, I am always coming to you for answers. And I always say like, I would rather you ask me than never ask anyone and you look bad or do wrong. And like, I would rather us be discomfort, I mean, uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but like talking to that of like people who discount the discomfort in what they, in how people say it, like at protests and things, it's because they aren't used to being uncomfortable because the, the, the baseline is that white people should be comfortable wherever they go. And so as society, we have all these things set in place systematically. So white people can and have continued to have this realm of white privilege. And so now we're, we're asking white people who have never had to do this work to look at their white privilege to now do that. And so, you know, it's like the thing about like never talking about race or politics because it would make other people uncomfortable. And I think of it like, no, it was put into society because I think if the people in power knew that these groups were having these conversations, it would flip things on its head. And we are now really living through that of having, like you're saying, pointing out the physical differences, asking people about their experiences, asking white people to be uncomfortable and sit and do the work of reading white fragility or, you know, diversifying who they follow on social media and reading books and all these other things of, you know, don't just talk to people who look like you. Don't just read books that are written by people who look like you. Literally going out and getting different forms of information um, so that you can learn. And I think that's a thing too, like, my personal experience is that, you know, a lot of white people feel like no matter what, they're always right. And so <laughs> having that conversation and those pushbacks of being like, you, you don't know what the black experience is like. So don't try to tell me what I should be feeling. Right, right, right. And a lot of, you know, energy around that. And, you know, I recently got furloughed from a job where I was the only black person there. And, really feeling like there was no boundaries and that I didn't have a right to say I needed boundaries. Like they wanted me to read emails at like six, seven o'clock at night and respond to them. I was like, I have a boundary. And you know, that gaslighting of like, well, you know, this job is so important and we should feel so honored to work here. And I'm like, it's a job. Like <laughs> I can find yeah, another job. Like, right. right. Like it is not my, it is not my life. I do not live to work. I work so that I can live right. That, that, that whole trope. So yeah, as we continue to, to do that, that's, that's where my brain went of like, you know, I, I am seeing a lot of black, I mean, a lot of white people finally sitting in discomfort versus running Mm -hmm. away from it. Yeah. I think it's really important. And I think it has to do with experience too. Like I'm trying to simplify everything. And I think I'm driving my friends crazy because (laughs) they'll like talk about something and I'll be like, it's just not that complicated. So to me, what that kind of seems like, biologically, if you want to call it, is that just a lack of experience. Like white people are generally, because they're in the position of power, used to having things go their way. And I mean, I'm, I 
I, I totally am used to things going my way. And I think what happened with George Floyd is that you saw him as a human, not a black person. He was begging for his life. I mean, it just, ugh, it's still, but the problem, it's not a problem, but the issue, I'm just going right down into this, aren't I? Um, that white people or anyone could see themselves in his position. He needed $20. He needed to breathe. He was, you know, he was denied that. And I think people could see themselves as needing $20 and being put in a pos an unfair position. And then, um, so I think it, it's almost past the, the, the issue that he was black. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't mean to sound disrespectful, but, <clears throat> yeah. you know, at a human level, it's like, I could have been that person. And now all of a sudden we're like, oh, oh no, like it, it's, it's a, it's almost a fear response because that could have been anybody. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I've been talking to a lot of friends since this happened, a lot of white friends who I've known for years who all came to me and be like, I get it. I finally get it. And I'm like, how are you just now getting this? Like, you know, the fact that I am black, it should be a, constant fear of yours that I could be killed just for being black that's what it comes down to right like mm -hmm. racism prejudice like just for me being a black person I could walk on my house and someone could fear for their life and kill me <clears throat> but you know you bring up a good point of like I didn't think of like the humanizing of it because I'm just like as a person of color I see all people as people like I don't need to meet an immigrant to know that I want immigrants to get to our country safely and have every right or I don't need to meet um, a person who is disabled to know that I, I want everyone to have, you know, the proper accommodations, right? So, like, for me, I was like, I don't get why you have to see a Black person die to realize that you want all Black people to live. So, what you're saying, like, this, human, this humanizing is, like, they were finally able to put themselves in, in those shoes. That's very interesting for me because, you know, again, I come from a background of social work. So for me, I'm, all, I'm automatically like, no, I feel like equity, equality, all those things should be <laughs> base level. Everyone should feel that. Mm -hmm. But like you're, you're saying that is just like really opening my eyes to some things of like, well, it's, it's such a humanizing thing of like, we should all have the right to air and to be able to get what we need. And it shouldn't, you know, be these being, you shouldn't be murdered because you needed $20 or, you no. know, because, you know, all these things. And <laughs> so like, that's, that's very, that's very fascinating to me because I was so frustrated and angry and annoyed with people. I'm just like, how are you just getting this? And then, I mean, also like all of us being inside for the, because of the pandemic and, you know, for those of you who did watch it, I still have not watched it because I don't need to see it. Um, but you know, those people who are like, I need people to see this, to understand it. And I'm just like, I don't get that. But like, your viewpoint of like as a white person coming from that of like it was very humanizing for that group of people is is interesting i didn't watch the whole thing i couldn't it was too disturbing and maybe that makes me less of a person but i just i just knowing what happened and seeing the bits i did i was like done the message sent let's move on like part of me doesn't even feel right going to protest either cuz i don't know just feels kind of disingenuine I don't know and mm. plus there was also like the mix when they did it in my city um, there was a real push for the um, defunding the police and I was actually worried that the message Black Lives Matter was gonna get lost 
And I didn't want to be not only, you know, in a bunch of, with a bunch of people in a crowd who might, may or may not be wearing masks, um, to, to go there and have the message be diluted, I guess. Yeah. I was worried. So I didn't, I didn't go. But um, I don't know. Kind of a weird place to be. Yeah. I've been telling people, like, they're, that those are all, like, not wanting to go to a protest because you are afraid the message is going to be lost and because we're still in the middle of a pandemic is totally valid. Um, but there are still other ways that you can show up, which I think like you having this conversation with me or like I've had other friends who are immune compromised who couldn't go. And so like they decided like they would be emergency contacts for people or like make uh, backpacks for those who were going to walk and make sure everybody had masks awesome. and first aid kits. But I think the the major thing is like, continuing this conversation i mean we know how often the news cycles through and you know things are lost essentially Uh um and then also like having that conversation of you know black lives matter and also why defunding the police is directly connected to black lives matter and like that that uh bridge between the two Uh because i think you know even yesterday when i did um an instagram the instagram takeover for my friend jen a lot of people were like, what's the difference between dis- defunding and dismantling? And there's a really great article talking about Camden, New Jersey, because that's where they did, did they dismantled their police versus other cities who are defunding the police. Mm-hmm. And so letting people know, like, again, Google is still free and you can find articles like I can find articles. And I've been telling people that all the time, um, just because it is exhausting to constantly talk about these things. But anyway, um, but yeah, like that whole conversation and, and why it is so important and, you know, the history of police and how, you know, they were originally created to bring slaves, runaway slaves back to the people who were their abusers and, you know, who enslaved them. And so I think a lot of people now are like finally realizing how also like whitewashed history is and, you know, how Uh often you don't (laughs) learn about black people. I mean, aside from like the few that like, for lack of a better term, slip in like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Rosa Parks. But you know, there's there. I've been telling people literally if you Google today in black history, every single day, you'll learn something new that you did not know because we, our history has been so erased. And yeah, I just, there's so many. <laughs> I know there's so much we could talk about. There's, there's um, just so much. Ridiculous. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about, sorry. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the news cycle thing. I am frustrated with media in general all the time because I've talked about this on a, a couple of podcasts is how um, the easy message, the message that gets them attention are the messages of competition. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really worried. I'm really worried that the, the issue with George Floyd is going to become a cycle, do a cycle and people just accept it. And I, it bothers me because I'll hear something like that's um, it's a, it's something with competition and then when the com- competition is gone the mess the the story isn't interesting anymore and i don't think it's not interesting to the average person i think it's not interesting to the people who are trying to make money off of sharing information and and i think at some level we're more just biologically interested in conflict or status or things that are you know, active or exciting. I don't know what the word is, but yeah. um, I think it's unfortunate. And that's why things kind of, 
I don't, I don't like that there is a cycle, but it seems like there is because less people are interested in stories that aren't tantalizing or yeah, yeah. And it bothers me so, so, so much. Well, I mean, if we think about it, like, I've been telling this to people too, like George Floyd wasn't the first black person to be murdered by police, right? But we see how no. much momentum it is getting right now because of, you know, the current state that we are in. And like for, for you know, not to sound awful, but like there was really nothing going on besides COVID. So yes, you know, and the, people the, are stuck in their houses forced to think about this person. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, there are a couple things that worry me, like A, what if it had been normal life and this happened? Would it have gotten so much attention? I'm not sure. B, what if he had been, you know, had nothing but a string of expletives while he was being murdered? Like, Mm -hmm. would that have grabbed us? I don't know. Like, if if you change just a thing or two, this probably wouldn't have, like, taken hold like it did and it it's terrible it's taken so freaking long or to hold but there are there are there are those identified differences that we can go oh my gosh and hopefully there's the momentum but i just uh the cycle thing bothers me (laughs) i think right now also like i saw a video last night of like one of the officers that was there when he got murdered like he was like out on bail walking around like grocery shopping also not wearing a mask, but I'm not even going to talk about uh, that at the moment. Yeah, that's a uh, whole different story. Um, but then yeah. if we continue, like, you know, Black Lives Matter, the whole movement is literally about all Black lives. And so, like, we still are, you know, Breonna Taylor, she was murdered in her home by police. But, you know, Breonna's law now is, exists that there's, you know, there's no more no-knock warrants in where she was from. But... The law is in place, but the people who killed her are still not arrested or, you know, being held accountable. So, like, I don't, I don't think that that's going to go go uh, out of the ether for a while until those police are brought to justice. Um, because, like, the way she was murdered. And, and, if you, and if you haven't listened to her mother talk about everything she had to go through to even find out that Brianna was dead, it is heart-wrenching. And I only listened to about half of it because I was just like, it was... You know, at one point they were like asking if she had any enemies when they knew the police killed her, but like trying already like to put uh, these things in place. Deflect. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then also like if you think about the number of black trans people who are murdered in this country or, you know, all these things about how there's still, you know, if even if George Floyd didn't happen, there were still so many other black people who are continually killed by the police. I think I don't think the momentum is going to stop. I think the new cycle may stop talking about it, but I don't think in actual society it will. I hope and I think not. I really, because, really, really, really hope not. <laughs> and I think it's because a lot of, like, and I've said this before, I think it's because a lot of white people care now, right? Like, we, we know that black people are only given so much time, period, anywhere. So, like, all of these, like, white people, white celebrities, you know, big organizations who are, you know, stepping up and all these companies who are making statements and all these other like big companies and their staff who are getting called out. Like if you think about Adam Rappaport from Bon Appetit and like that whole situation and, you know, all these companies really doing the deep dive into how have we been complacent in racism? How have we not worked toward being anti-racist? How can we do better in the future? I'm interested in seeing how things change. Like once we get back to quote unquote the new normal of going back to like work if COVID ever <laughs> slows down wear your masks mm-hmm. wash your hands 
but yeah, I mean, I totally hear you about, you know, that 24 hour news cycle. I mean, if we also think about, you know, this year's an election year and politics are are really going to pick up soon. And, you know, I I hope that these are really big questions that we get to have conversations about because I'm interested in hearing how, you know, the candidates talk about that. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's funny in my head, it almost seems like all the same issues. It's just a different label, like politics or to me, it's very, very strange place to be because I have it boiled down in my head to like just the basics and this differences are dangerous comes from when we were cave dwellers. I mean, it's, it's really basic. And um, the researchers that you mentioned that I had been stalking until COVID made me stop, they talk about um, something called co-registration, which is like experiencing something in real time and responding to it as a group. So you have this sense of reality, like that is what happened. And we're so um, disconnected by media now that we don't all have to see the same thing at the same time. And George Floyd was this moment where we all was, were watching the same thing at the same time. And it was just so powerful. And that differences can be distracting because like when you're talking about politics, there's, there's two tribes, there's Democrats and Republicans and anything outside that label suddenly becomes dangerous or different. Like, I don't know how to respond to this. And if you're a white person that doesn't hang out with black people and suddenly you're with a bunch of black people, like I went to, um, I went to a football game in Los Angeles. I was dating someone who didn't live in my hood and went to a football game. I think there were probably 10 people there that were white. And I, I did feel on edge and I'm like, why, uh, why? Like, it's just because I was in the minority, like physically I, was I didn't know what to expect. And, and having my brain as a, a, an enlightened white person, having my brain like worry, I was like, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I just see past the fact that my skin's a different color than any, you know, it was just, it was like very uh, disturbing that I would think that way. Do you know what I mean? It's just, but I think it's like instinctual and I, I, and I don't mean it as an excuse. I, I mean it as something we need to acknowledge and get past. Like when you're training police officers in a military fashion, like, I don't know if you know who John Oliver is. He, mm-hmm. he, he did, he's done it twice now. He's done it twice where he talks about how they take military grade stuff and they go train these police officers and they put them in a state of fear. Like, you are going to go out and these people want to hurt you. And so they go into a situation like a protest and they're expecting something and then they start seeing it because they expect it. And I'm not trying to make an excuse for any police officer. It's just that we're not acknowledging that we have these fear responses and we shouldn't, the last thing we should be doing is training people with guns to um, be scared of the people that they're supposed to be controlling. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you 
don't come at it from a biological level to me it seems like you're in the dark just yeah. like shooting blank i mean you don't know what's going on you have right. to admit right that you're a person oh there's so much i want to unpack there um <laughs> sorry, sorry. no you're good so if we go back to like you talking about being at this football game and you being uncomfortable and it's and it's because you are one of 10 white people in a predominantly black slash people of color space. And, you know, I was a woman recently reached out to me on Instagram and we were having a conversation about like this stereotype or this like thing she heard about, you know, growing up of like, you know, don't date black men because they'll love you and leave you. And, you know, all these other things she's, she heard. And so I was unpacking that with her. I was like, let's talk about why stereotypes exist and, you know, systematic racism. And so if you were taught your whole life that black men are predators and here to hurt you and here to kill you and all that other stuff, you will grow up thinking that. Whereas, you know, these things are put into place again so that we don't have conversations with each other or like, you know, the whole difference between like Republican and Democrats of like, you know, you, if you believe this and only this, only, only this can be conservative and racism and only this can be democratic and liberal, like putting us in boxes so that we don't have communication with each other, which we hear and learn and then internalize. And then automatically, you know, the minute we hear someone as Republican, like, well, we can't, we're not going to have anything in common. So what are we talking about at all? And so like with me, especially having this show, um, I've had friends, you know, growing up in Connecticut can be Connecticut is very liberal and progressive and I use air quotes, but I mean, no matter where you live, there are always people who believe differently than you. And I've mentioned this before on the show. I, it didn't really click for me until I was in like sixth grade. And I think it was Bush with Gore were running at the same time. And we were like learning about voting and what that meant and what that looked like. And, you know, raise, we had the whole thing, like raise your hand if you would vote for president Gore and then raise your hand if you would vote for president Bush and I was like, oh, obviously, like, we all grew up together in the same town. We're all sitting here in this classroom. We all, you know, have these similar, you know, we're all in the similar um, area. We're going to all vote the same. And then seeing that, you know, we had people vote for Gore and then people vote for Bush. And that was like my first time being like, oh, like, you can literally be raised in the same wow. area of town, be sitting in the same classroom and like have different opinions. And so that's kind of like what my little baby <laughs> Bring involved in well, politics. Well, at twelve, that's pretty. That's pretty old. I mean, that's pretty old. They say yeah. like by three or four, you know, like where you stand. But I think it was like <laughs> based for on me, your resources. It, it was probably like finally, like but like people actually wow. talking to us about politics, though. Like right, like we are taught the difference between those two things, but like having a conversation about politics and you know having people in your in my classroom and in my school who were my friends who like voted differently than I did I was like oh my god how are we friends like that, that's like when it first started to yeah, really it's click so, it's such a simplistic thing like you want things to be simple you want things to make sense and we, we're desperately trying to do that and we're using all the wrong cues mm -hmm. yeah so that was like my first one and then the whole thing about policing and I have so many topics about the police and I want to again point out that like I have family who are police officers like I don't I have feelings about the police I also know that they are ne necessary up to a point like I, I I for one 
believe in like reallocating funds, which I think is the easiest way to think about defunding the police is like giving money to different things that will help help the community more, in my opinion. But if we think about how officers are trained, number one, yeah. like they aren't, it's, it's what, six months to a year long training. Um, I was just reading an article the other day about how this one officer didn't even graduate high school and was a police officer and not like education is everything but I mean you need your you need at least a GED to work at a fast food restaurant and like you are now putting weapons into this ridiculous right like yeah oh my gosh so if we think about that of like you know especially here in Austin we've been talking a lot about defunding the police because you know we had these peaceful protests here and you know they shot this one kid with you know, less lethal, using air quotes, ammunition, and he's been in the hospital, and he won't be the same. Like, they shot him in his head, and another kid who was, like, leaving, walking away, and another officer shot him as he was walking away. Same with the less lethal, which, again, heavy air quotes. But, you know, if we think about that, like you're saying, like, police are trained to respond in the way that, like, everyone you encounter is trying to kill you. And that's such a fear-based way of training. But if we look at other countries and how they are trained, like their police go to things, go to training for like two, three years. And, you know, if we think about, you know, how low the people murdered by police count is there, like obviously America always is like the top because we're a hot gosh dang mess. But, you know, if we look at that training of how those police in other countries are trained, you know, how less people are shot by the police and killed by the police. Um, And just like that breakdown of, you know, why is it that we have such a awful standing with our police? And it's like, because we don't train them properly. And that's what I think a lot of people are having this conversation now about defunding the police and dismantling the police is like going in and retraining and doing all the proper ways to, you know, talk about, like you're saying, implicit bias. And like, are you going to be more on edge for black people than you are with white people? Or, you know, these people who've been having conversations around, you know, we only see the police when they're here to, you know, arrest us. We don't see people like the police just like coming around and hanging out and like getting to know the community. Like they're only there to cause trauma, essentially. And so, I mean, as we continue those conversations too, I'm just like, I would that's like my dream is that the police can be people who are there to help because we have other people like social workers and, you know, can put, you know, EMS, you know, give more money to that. Like if we put more ambulances in place and, you know, people who live in Austin, I want you to look up how many ambulances we have in our city because it's not as many as you think it is. And it's because a lot of the budget, like the Austin police department gets like $400 million a year. Like their budget is 400 and something million dollars. But then we look at like, you know, efforts around, you know, um, combating homelessness. If we took 8% of the uh, police department's budget, we could alleviate homelessness in Austin. 8%. A single, a single digit percent. So ridiculous. And could house everyone, you know, give resources. We have, someone was saying, we have kids out here who, uh, who have student lunch debt. But we have police yeah. departments with so much money. We yeah. have kids who are going to bed hungry. We have parents who can't afford yeah. to be on the like to get a bus t- ticket. Like you know, there's all these things in place because we put so much power in police versus power in our people. And not saying that police aren't people, but like <sighs> tangent. The whole thing about black about blue lives matter. And I've been saying this to people for years. Like you choose to be a police officer. I do not choose to be a black person. 
I cannot change the fact that I am a black person. You can go to work and put on your uniform and be a police person, a police officer, and then take that off and then, you know, not and be off duty and not be a police officer. But then we also look at like people who are like how black officers versus white officers are treated. Like there's still like those systematic things in place to have racism perpetuate everything else. Like there's so many conversations we need to be having when we talk about police and training and, you know, the things that are going on behind the scenes. But yeah, I just, but I think it needs to include a conversation about why you want to be a police officer. Mm -hmm. And I know that they have psychological tests, but Mm -hmm. I doubt they're evolutionarily like, it's such a strange thing that humans can be so smart and yet not pay attention to where we've come from and our history and even recent history. Like if we're talking about police, they used to be beat cops. Like they knew the people in their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Like what is wrong with that? Why, why, why is, why does history seem so passe? Like, Oh, well we used to do it that way. And there are some elements that would be useful if you knew that, you know, if I'm a officer of the law and I knew the most of the people in my neighborhood, what, what's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Humanizing them, right? Like yeah, if you people. know that, if Ugh. you know that, you know, Joseph has a mental health issue but the police yes. are constantly called on him. If you live in that neighborhood, you know about Joseph and how, and exactly. you build familiarity with him. So like when you go in there, he's used to seeing you versus a complete stranger who he does not know, right. who he does not trust, who's been right. told the police are only here to kill you. Right. So now you, you know, exasperate the situation. Yeah, yep. I, I, I agree. It's just, yeah. It's I, stratification. It's like the modern human wants everything like a certain way in a certain place because it was a benefit to us when we were, living in tribes to know what was going to happen next. But we're like so addicted to it. Like, especially people who happen to be in power, like in our country happens to be white people. We have an expectation. And if it's not met the world, the earth is falling apart. It's like, why, why is, I mean, because it, it clicks you into fear. Like things aren't going how I thought they were. What's wrong with this picture? And then we need to figure out what it is. And sometimes it's a person that doesn't have power that gets blamed for whatever thing is not happening the way it's supposed to be. It's just frustrating to watch, I guess. Yeah. From my in my head. (laughs) And I want to use air quotes around like the way it's supposed to be, right? Like this, like this. I know. This it it does you have to be open to um things happening in an unexpected fashion. And you don't you're not comfortable in that unless you have a lot of experience. I think I started talking about this a while ago. Like if you have a lot of different experiences, you're, you gain confidence. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately is what kept us alive as cave dwellers. Like you experienced a lot of things and in any situation you felt confident. And if you are isolated or you only, um, do certain things like in your bubble, if you're in your balloon or your bubble and you're breathing the same air all the time, sorry, it gets a little stale. Get out there and like try something new and don't be so concerned with making sure that things are predictable. But that's kind of like we're programmed to do that because we feel safer when we know what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's like, that makes me think about like this note you made about like coping strategies and you know, I think a lot about, and that the coping 
coping strategies and posturing and I think how they kind of work together as a like when you're a black person specifically like I was talking to a friend on a previous episode about like how the microaggression of like as a black person when you hear like you speak so well you speak so eloquently and like the tone policing around that and for me it's been interesting because I mean I have a very quote-unquote black name Brianna with an O last name Jenkins like and so like whenever I when I was younger I would always like change my voice to sound more palatable or like make sure I wasn't like causing a stir at work because I didn't want to like seem like the angry black woman or like all these things that we are just constantly bombarded with and I think now a lot of black people are done doing it and you know I live in this complex I've lived in I've lived here for three years out of the four years I've lived here and the other day I I've told this story before but I was running out to get um, to pick up my pick my drop-off order delivery there you go and ran outside like (laughs) hair up in like a really weird bun and pajamas and just like flip-flops because I was literally just running out and the the look that this white woman walking her dog gave me almost like what are you doing here and I was like "Ah." and immediately like I old me would have like smiled to make her feel comfortable and I didn't and I was like and I said to myself like if she feels uncomfortable that is on her I have lived here for three years I've never seen her a day in my life right and got my delivery and went back inside and you know just that split moment of like just seeing that and I was like we have so much work left to do. Oh my God. And you weren't what she expected. And Mm -hmm. it's just silly. It's to to base so much on how someone looks or what they, what kind of clothes they wear. To me, it's like not to discount culture again, but to me, it's all the same shit. Like, come on, just, it's a person. That's all you need to know. A person who's just trying to make it through life and pick up her gosh dang Chinese. Yes. Because <laughs> she's hungry. And how could you possibly like Chinese food? God, how can I want to <laughs> nourish my body with Chinese? So Gracious. Weird. I the nerve. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it just, it's, that's really what's gotten me the most lately is just like seeing how many black people are really speaking up and just being like, listen, if I lose my job because I spoke up, that's fine. Like, with me, I was telling people like me being like unemployed during this time is like the worst thing that could have happened to the world because I have nothing to do but talk about these things now and you know really like tell, and telling people as I interview like I am really big into social justice like I am an activist I am all these things so you need to know this is for if you're going to hire me and understand that like people may tie my connection with your business and that's you know something I want you to consider but it's not something I'm willing to give up like I had an interview a couple weeks ago with this gentleman and he asked like why I left one of my jobs and I was like oh it was, I wanted a different position and I wanted more money because I was doing really well in my job and my boss my boss wasn't willing to do that so I left and he's like well don't you think you should have just like sat there and waited it out I'm like no because the minute I left they hired a white person to do the job I wanted and gave her more money so yeah I was like uh, so no yeah I message think. taken Thanks. yeah I was like <laughs> heard and like had been told like the money would never be there for like three more years and that was you know and then I left and all of a sudden like they had the budget and the money to hire a white woman and I was like okay noxious so I'm like no like I you know if me making me telling you what I want makes you uncomfortable I don't need to be here and I and I think that's a privilege I've sat with for a long time because you know I am 
educated and I have a platform and I say what I mean and mean what I say and, you know, get all these opportunities. And so like my privilege is like, even if I don't have a full-time job and get to do activism or what have you part-time or what, what have you, I'm just, I'm not willing to go back into what society told me I needed to do to make white people comfortable. And I think we're seeing that a a lot right now. Like that's like the new coping strategy. Like I understand that I may never work again, but even if I'm unemployed and you know, the world becomes a better place, I can live with that. To me, that sounds like, like the cats out of the bag type thing, but you'll, you'll find a work culture. I think that doesn't need you to fit. Like if I were hiring somebody this, this happened to me, um, I used to work at a preschool, and they were hiring a, te- a co-teacher, like I was the lead teacher and they were hiring me a teacher. And there were three candidates that came through the class. And um, uh, the person I wanted was like really direct. And like, um, in this situation, how would you handle this? Like right there in front of the kids, like, I wasn't sure what to do. How would you do it? And it's not like I needed someone to, to um, copy exactly what I was doing, but she was like kind of logical about it. And I was like, Oh, I could work with this person. And so of the three, that was the third person on their list to hire. So they went with person one or not. Anyway, my choice was not the one that was picked basically. And I, I think it's so strange because a a work culture is very stratified in my head. Like you have a boss, you have an assistant, you have everyone's supposed to like fit in a certain place. And if you have a person who's like, I don't know, like it's kind of a scary choice. Like you're saying I am not going to totally behave. And so maybe that's like, it's a put off, but, why should it be? Because don't you want innovation in your, you know, if, if people that are so dependent on status to me is a signal that they're scared. Like I put it in my head, I have this idea that everyone is either in trust or fear. And so there's a continuum and it, depending on the situation you're in, you're either in trust or you're in fear. And if you have someone that's in charge that needs status as a controlling thing like you're easing toward you're kind of more fear-based and you're not quite to trust you know what I mean so if you if you have a job that that you have to fill you can only fill a certain role that's kind of not maybe not the culture you work culture you want to be yeah. a part of I don't know I don't know no yeah yeah I think about you know other jobs where I have you know, been the only black person there and had to like do some anti-racist work and having those conversations and how exhausting it's been. But then like sitting and talking to the white people and non-black people I've worked with and being like, why do you think this is okay to say this? And like, and it's been interesting. They were interesting conversations because like it wasn't, I wasn't saying it was wrong. I'm just asking why you thought it was right. And how often like people weren't answered, able to answer that. And it's like, okay, I want you to sit with that for a minute. Like I don't, this is you, this is your work I need you to do, but I just want you to like flip it and ask yourself why you are so okay with this and the conversations that would lead to after. But like, so a lot of the work I've been really doing lately is like 
a num- number one is like Google it first. I've been, I'm sure my listeners, my listeners are sick of hearing me say this, but like if you can Google a coffee shop, you can Google how to be anti-racist and like resources that way. Also, because it's free and it doesn't cost you anything and you're not exhausting Black people. Um, That's how I did all my research on evolutionary psychology. I'm not currently attached to a university and I feel like I earned a doctorate. If you you have to put a label on it, I've done a whole lot of research and it was free. I got it from Twitter. I follow researchers. I bip, 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 bip. And I have a blog with 29 posts and, and they all have citations. And and it's all off the internet. Yeah, like if if you <laughs> want to learn, if you want to learn it, you will. Yes. Right, like if you want to change, you and be different, you will do the work. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Sorry, I, have, I totally interrupted you. <laughs> no, that was all I wanted to say. And this <laughs> okay. this conversation with you was so needed and beautiful and I'm so glad that you reached out and yay I'm so glad you accepted and when you and I got the email I was like ooh, a new person who I don't know <laughs> I was so excited and I will be sure to link everything in the show notes that we talked about any resources you want me to include as well um but you know as at the end of every show I like to ask my guest one final question to kind of end on a high note and give us some hope and that question is, what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Okay, this is not deep, but this is the first thing that came to my head. Um, I got this, this piece of advice from my dad. He said, when I got married, he said, invest in a king size bed. And I did, and I'm glad. And <laughs> the, the piece of advice I would give to my younger self is that school is not the world. You will find your people. Mm, I like that. That's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbrie at gmail.com and visit the website, theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to you all later this week. Bye.